Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is your host, the OG Rob Silver, the original great Rob Silver. And today we are going to go over every single fight from the pay-per-view card that occurred Saturday night, Saturday night, January 7th. I will give my overall thoughts and what I think the main uh, focus will be on um, the main fighters from the card as Jerome Boutsenis, Rashidi Ellis, and of course, Javante Tag Davis, what their future looks like, what I think their future looks like. I will go into an extended Q&A session and with me giving a rundown of the fights this past Saturday night and a very lengthy Q&A session, I will save my historical overview of my 11th greatest fighter of the last 45 years, Manny Pacquiao. I will save that for next week. We'll save that for next week. So today we will have two segments and we will begin. But before we begin, I would be remiss if I would not talk about the bonus show and shows from the entire Fight Game Media family that's on our Patreon portion, Patreon podcast for $5 a month. For $5 a month, not only do you get exclusive coverage of AEW, WWE, Impact, NWA, New Japan, All Japan, UFC, Bellator, you all you get exclusive coverage of all those combat sports. And you get my monthly greatest upsets in boxing history bonus show. The last one is up. Uh, my number, my second greatest upset of all time, Randy Turpin's shocking upset, July of 1951, over the greatest fighter that ever lived in Sugar Ray Robinson. Well, this upcoming week I will be recording my final greatest upset of all time, Buster Douglas versus Mike Tyson. And that will conclude my run of greatest upsets in boxing history. And then I will begin a new series on the Patreon feed, which I will announce next week on this podcast. So, guys, $5 a month, you get that bonus show I do a month, and you get all the other great shows. You got, matter of fact, for you old school wrestling fans. The CEO, the aforementioned Garrett Gonzalez, the CEO of Fight Game Media Network, and his longtime friend and great booker of independent wrestling throughout all of the state of California, John LaRocca, do a series on 1996 Monday Nitro. One of my all-time favorite years in WCW. And if things continue the way they are next year they'll be doing the 1997 monday nitro in 1997 my favorite wrestling year of all time and then if you go back in the archives they covered extensively 1997 and 1998 monday night raw for wwe which began the attitude era so you've got that bonus coverage and you've got great bonus coverage by great uh Wrestling historians like Justin Nipper, Mike Gilbert, and of course, the legendary Japanese 
wrestling historian Fumi Saido. So go ahead, check that out. And also check out the Fight Game Media YouTube page for similar content and exclusive late-breaking news. There's been a lot of late-breaking news the last year with the AEW controversy, CM Punk, CM Punk's battles with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega behind the scenes. And then the Vince McMahon controversy and scandal. They have it. They cover it all. And they come up with behind-the-scenes exclusive news that you won't see anywhere else. Okay, now on to Saturday night's fights from Washington, D.C. A sold-out over 19,000 fans in attendance to see this card that at first looked like it was going to be a bunch of mismatches, a bunch of squash matches. Well, there were two, but there were two very highly competitive fights. First, we start at the very first fight on the pay-per-view. And once again, Demetrius Boo Boo Andrade doesn't do himself any favors. He wins every second of every round against DeMond Nicholson. Once again, Andrade knocks somebody down early. He knocked down Nicholson in the second round. Knocked him down late in the fight, but he won a 10-round going-away shutout. Andrade continues to fight B and C fighters. I know he's been ducked a lot, but can somebody give this guy a fight? 34 years old, and he has yet to have a significant fight in his entire career. Now, some of it is his fault. Some of it was his promoter, Eddie Hearn's fault. Eddie Hearn never gave him one big fight. Eddie Hearn does not know how to promote black fighters. Period. He didn't know how to promote Devin Haney. The minute Haney leaves Hearn, he becomes undisputed lightweight champion of the world. Andrade now looks to be fighting with PBC. Let's see if he gets in the ring with other PBC fighters like Charlo, like Benavides, like Plant. Let's see. Because there's no excuses. You're 34 years old, Andrade. You need to step it up because your career has been very lackluster, undefeated against less than stellar opposition. Then we go to the upset of the night. And I love this. I love this. Rashidi Ellis was talking all this nonsense. He fought Roman Villa. And for the first six, seven rounds, Ellis did what he wanted to do, moving, landing combinations, making Villa miss, but then his gas tanked empty. And the second half of the fight, it was all Villa, culminating in two knockdowns in the 12th round that got him the decision. Going into the 12th and final round, Ellis was ahead on all three scorecards. He was ahead by two points on one scorecard and one point on two other scorecards. If he just runs, he gets a draw. But he can't run because he has no gas left in the tank. Villa mopped him up in the 12th round, dropped him twice to earn the majority decision. I don't want to hear no fucking robbery. Oh, Ellis got robbed. Ellis ran out of gas. Ellis was exposed. Ellis is maybe an eight-round fighter. He will never be a welterweight champion of the world. In order to be a welterweight champion of the world, you have to be an elite fighter. Ellis is not an elite fighter. His chin is shaky. His stamina is very shaky. And his intestinal fortitude is very shaky. Now, 
Even if he wins the rematch, he's not beating Boots. He's not beating Spence. He's not beating Crawford. Forget about it. Speaking of Boots, I want to make sure I mention the guy's name correctly. Boots won a 12-round decision. He won every second of every round against Karen Chukazian. Chukasian. Chukasian. Chukasian ran and ran and ran with though an occasional left hook would run. Boots and his, at first, fought smartly. He, everything behind that piston-like jab. He's got a great shotgun left jab. And then as the fight progressed, Boots got more and more anxious and left himself open for counters because he was trying his damnest to knock out Chukatsian. Well, sometimes it's not in the cards to knock your opponent out. Third time, Boots goes to the decision, and he wins a 12-round decision. And now you got all this nonsense, boxing fans on social media, especially on Twitter. Oh, Boots was exposed. How was Boots exposed? He won every second of every round. How was he exposed? How was he exposed? Explain that to me. Because Spence and Crawford do not fight like uh, Karen fights. Chukasian. Chukasian doesn't fight like them. Spence and Crawford will give Boots opportunities to land. Yes, they will land, but Boots will have to prove himself stylistically that he can hang with Spence and Crawford. And I believe he can. Only time will tell. In my opinion, there are only three welterweights that matter. I don't want to hear about Stanionis and Virgil Ortiz. They're not in the conversation. It's Boots, it's Boots, Bud, and Spence. It's the only three welterweights that matter right now. And we've got to get two of them in the ring against each other. I don't want to hear about Virgil Ortiz. I don't want to hear about Stanionis. Rashidi Ellis was, was uh, exposed. Those are the only three welterweights that matter right now. We need to see them three in the ring against each other, period, end of story. Now on to the main event. I'm worried about Tank Davis. Yes, he won the fight. Yes, he, uh, my prediction would have been correct. I predicted Tank would win by decision. I thought it'd be a tough fight, and it was a tough fight. Hector Garcia gave uh, Tank Davis hell. I had Garcia winning the first three rounds because Tank wasn't doing anything. Tank didn't start throwing punches until the fourth round. As Tank's career has progressed, his output has diminished. He could get away with it because he's got one-punch knockout power. But what happens when Tank fights Elite stylistic counter punches and defensive masters like Devin Haney and Shakur Stevenson. You can't give away early rounds like that. Right? You can't go behind three, four rounds against a Haney or a Shakur because they know how to run the clock out. They'll tie you up, they'll make you miss. Yes, Tank Davis is against the Mario Barrios and Raleigh the Rapist Ramirez and Hector Garcia, he can rely on his power to eventually catch those guys because those guys are going to be in front of him. Haney and Shakur have proven they go 12 rounds and be as fresh in the 12th round as they were in the first round. Now, Haney does have a shaky chin. We saw him get rocked by Jorge Linares, and we saw him get rocked by Diaz, by Jojo Diaz. 
So he does have a shaky chin, and if he gets hit by Tank the way Diaz and Linares hit him, they'll be scraping him off the canvas. But Haney will be on his A game when he fights Tank. I guarantee that. That'll be the biggest fight of his career if they have a fight. Shakur doesn't get hit. And that'd be an intriguing matchup because Shakur could win every round and all it would take is Tank to land one shot. But he can, he land that one shot against the greatest defensive fighter on the planet today. Intriguing matchups. I worry about Tank because he might not get to those fights if he continues to lose too many early rounds against fighters that are not on his level. Hector Garcia is a good fighter. Tough fighter, like I mentioned the last few weeks coming into this fight. And he gave Tank hell. After eight rounds, I had it dead even. I gave Garcia the first three rounds. The eighth round, Tank batted Garcia with some incredible hooks and crosses. I mean, hurt him so bad that he blinded Garcia. When round eight ended, Garcia told his corner he couldn't see. Round nine began, they had to stop the fight. He couldn't come out of his corner because he couldn't see. Javante beat him into blindness, temporary blindness, that is, but still. Garcia defense is not his forte. Haney and Shakur defense is their forte. So Tank will beat all these middle of the road good fighters. He could even get away with it against Ryan Garcia because Ryan Garcia's chin is suspect. He got dropped by Luke Campbell, and his defense is shaky. I could see him getting past Ryan Garcia, no problem. But is his skill set, is his diminishing output going to be a detriment when he fights either Devin Haney or Shakur Stevenson? I hope that that either fight gets made so we can answer that question. First, Tank has to... Tank has two battles in the neck. Now that he beat Garcia, he's got two battles left. He's got a court case in February. Hit and run. If he's convicted, there's no fight with Ryan Garcia. If he wins that case, then he has the potential April showdown with Ryan Garcia. So before we talk Tank versus Haney, Tank versus Shakur, he's got to get past his court battle. And, of course, hopefully Ryan Garcia in April. He wins one, he goes on to the other, and then hopefully after that, we will see him against either Shakur Stevenson, Devin Haney, or the fight that I will predict that will occur this year, Frank Martin. And so, ladies and gentlemen, that's the rundown from Friday's fights. And now, we go to an extensive q and I've got so many questions to be answered today on the pod Then I'm going to go straight there Let me go to And if you want to ask me questions And it, it's not, it doesn't just have to be about boxing It could be about life, relationships It could be about music, baseball, football uh, The price of living, the cost of living Any of that Alright Ask Rob Silver Hashtag Ask Rob Silver on Twitter If you have any questions to ask me does, like I said, it doesn't have to be boxing related. First question up from longtime listener and contributor, Jesus Salas. He contributes another great question. I am not a fan of cinema, cinema, but Boys in the Hood is one of the best movies I ever saw. 
Ask Rob Silver, what are your top five in black cinema? It's a great question. It's a great question. No particular order. I, I've got my top two. Boys in the Hood is one of my top five. Boys in the Hood was a masterpiece directed by John Singleton, Ice Cube, Cuba Goodings, and Neil Long's cinematic debut. Morris Chestnut's cinematic debut. And for all these young actors who would have incredible careers until today, to be directed by John Singleton in his first major film. And of course, the single greatest performance in that picture was by Lawrence Fishburne, which is one of the questions, which is a question I'll be answering later on about his greatest performance. He was phenomenal. And of course, the always beautiful, talented, and phenomenal Angela Bassett. What a cast. You had two up-and-coming strong actors in, well, I couldn't even say Lawrence Fishburne was an up-and-coming actor because he'd been in the game for almost 20 years when he did uh, Boys in the Hood. At a young age, I, I, don't even know, I don't even think Fishburne was 30 years old yet when he did Boys in the Hood. Angela Bassett, the theatrically trained actress who to this day is looking as beautiful as ever, is looking as beautiful today as she did 32 years ago when Boys in the Hood came out and a great, 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 great actress. And the chemistry between Larry Fishburne and Angela Bassett has been proven three times. Boys in the Hood, What's Love Got to Do With It when they played Ike and Tina Turner. And oh, what was the Spelling Bee movie? The Spelling Bee movie where Angela Bassett played Kiki Palmer's uh Mother and Lawrence Fishburne played the professor that was the mentor for Kiki Palmer. I forgot the name of it. It was a spelling bee movie. Sorry, my my uh my uh memory is dying at the age of fifty four, almost fifty five. So Boys in the Hood definitely in my top five. I know my top two. I'm not gonna mention my top two because I wanna add two more movies between Four and two So I got two other movies That I want to talk about um, Michael Schultz Directed What I consider the funniest movie I've ever seen In Which Way Is Up Where Richard, Player, Richard Pryor Played three or four different characters In that movie That movie had me screaming From the beginning to the end Hilarious Motherfucker you fucked my wife Oh I have to put that there I mean and I know a lot of people are biased towards 90s movies But I've got a couple of 70s movies on here So there you go So number 5, Boys in the Hood Number 4, Which Way Is Up What's my number 3 greatest black cinema movie of all time? Boomerang Starring Eddie Murphy Boomerang is Eddie Murphy at his suave best At his smoothest And Hilarious Robin Givens Gives a star Making performance Halle Berry Shockingly Plays The other girl Beautiful Halle Berry Plays the woman That is the other woman She's outshined By Robin Givens Even though she looks Better than Robin Givens In real life In Boomerang Robin Givens Gave off sexy While Halle Berry Gave off The girl next door So Boomerang Is my number three Now my top two Number two is Deep Cover 
Speaking of Larry Fishburne, another Larry Fishburne movie in the top five. Deep Cover is the greatest black crime drama I ever saw. Deep Cover, I'm going to go more into Deep Cover later on because it's going to answer a question about Lawrence Fishburne. Deep Cover is my number two. And my number one, another movie directed by Michael Schultz, Cooley High from 1975. Incredible movie. Uh, The greatest black teenage coming of age story ever with the with the leads Glenn Thurman and Lawrence Hilton Jacobs putting in flawless performances as the two best friends who butt heads and then we have a tragedy at the end of the movie Cooley High just a great movie where you have a lot of funny scenes you have a lot of bonding scenes but then you have tragedy strike at the end you have um male angst you have uh teenage men and boys fighting um, teenage boys and girls trying to fight with their sexuality as far as do do they give in do they lose their virginity you had all of that and it's based in i believe 1965 chicago so there you go cool my greatest black cinema movie of all time so once again jesus thanks for that great question all right next up is my african brother m dube and he asked and this goes perfectly with the first question og rob what do you think was lawrence fishburne's best movie performance fishburne had a lot he's my all-time favorite actor i mentioned boys in the hood I mentioned What's Love Got to Do With It. He was incredible as Ike Turner. Uh, The movie Searching for Bobby Fischer, when he played the street chess player who taught the young boy, who helped mentor the young boy in a chess chess tournament. You have a a great, there was an HBO movie he made where he played Socrates Fortlow. Man, man, my fucking... uh, Anyway, it was, a, it was based off of Walter Mosley, my favorite author's uh, character. It was a it was a movie, an HBO movie. Fishburne was tremendous. In on television, he was phenomenal on Hannibal, the Hannibal Lecter series. He was phenomenal as the chief FBI agent in charge of seri- uh, serial killer crimes. The list is endless with Lawrence Fishburne. Cornbread Earl and me. Phenomenal in Cornbread Earl and me. Lawrence Fishburne, of course, you you remember him from the Matrix movies, which, you know, his highest paid, uh, his highest earning movies, but he didn't really have to act. I mean, but he does play the mentor to Keanu Reeves, Neo. Tremendous in Hoodlum playing uh, Bumpy Johnson. He was phenomenal in Hoodlum. But in my opinion, his greatest performance was Deep Cover. In my opinion, the greatest black crime drama of all time. He plays an undercover cop who tries to bring down a Latin American drug cartel. And he and Jeff Goldblum are phenomenal as this duo who is selling drugs and trying to buck the system 
Fishburne goes deep cover. He goes so deep into cover that he begins to act like a drug lord. The ending is phenomenal. And I won't spoil it for those who haven't seen it, even though the movie's 31 years old. It came out in 1992. I'm recording this in 2023. Lawrence Fishburne shows all the acting range in this movie. He's comedic. He's charismatic. The chemistry between him and Victoria Dillett, phenomenal. Phenomenal. The beautiful Victoria Dillett. As his love interest The chemistry with him and Jeff Goldblum Jeff Goldblum in my opinion never acted better Than he did in Deep Cover He played a sleazy lawyer turned drug lord With ease And of course The recently deceased Clarence Williams III As the Undercover cop Who's trying to bring down Unknown unknown to him That Lawrence Fishburne's character Is an undercover cop He didn't know that he thought he was a drug lord he's trying to bring down. Tremendous movie. If you have not seen it, where have you been? Go check it out. Deep cover starring Lawrence Fishburne, in my opinion, his greatest performance. These questions are very deep. I love these questions. My man from Philly, Rob Hill, ask. I got one for you, OG. If you could promote one fighter, who would that fighter be? And how would you promote them differently? Mine's would be Clarissa Shields. Way under-promoted. She should be on Serena Williams' level. Gold medalist, three-time champ, a million belts. Before I tell you who my choice would be, that is a great choice, Rob. Clarissa Shields should be, should be marketed like Layla Ali was marketed in the 90s. Layla Ali got commercial endorsements. She was doing pay-per-view, big numbers. Her, her pay-per-view versus uh, Joe Frazier's daughter did huge numbers. Huge numbers. Clarissa Shields is the greatest female fighter to ever live, period. End of story. Greatest female boxer that ever live. Everyone else is battling for second. She's Floyd Mayweather as a woman. She's great defensively. Uh, everything off that jab. She throws combinations. She never tires. The woman stays in phenomenal boxing shape. Rob, you couldn't ask for a better pick. She should be marketed like Serena Williams because she is the Serena Williams of boxing. She is the great. She is the greatest female boxer that ever lived. She's on that Serena Williams, um, Cheryl Miller, Cheryl Swoops, Allison Felix. Uh, Jackie Joyner Kersey Level of female excellence She's on that level Of iconic greatness Where she's unstoppable Unbeatable And yet she's being Mispromoted She should be the face of women's boxing Women's boxing today Is bigger than ever Clarissa Shields Should be there Fighting every 3-4 months on pay-per-view Headlining all female cards Fighting the best opposition, period. I agree with you. Great choice, Rob. My choice, if I could promote one fighter, that would be Shakur Stevenson. Shakur Stevenson is the new Floyd Mayweather, in my opinion. Softball version. He throws punches and bunches. He cannot be hit. 
Defensively, he's phenomenal, and he could make you miss while standing right in front of you. His ring IQ is off the charts. He should be marketed, especially concerning his considering his background from where he overcame a lot of poverty in Newark, New Jersey. His father had to overcome drug abuse. There's a huge story there to talk about. He overcame a lot, and right now, in my opinion, he's the best defensive fighter since Floyd Mayweather in his prime. Bob Arum, as I've stated many a times on this show and other podcasts and articles I've written throughout the years, does not know how to promote African-American fighters. He does not know how to promote black fighters, period. He's got a gem in Shakur Stevenson, and that should be a money machine. I went to Shakur's last fight in Newark, New Jersey. He sold the building out. A, a venue that's not considered a boxing venue, a city that, that's not considered a big fight town. He sold it out. He's that good. Thank you, Rob, for that great question. All right, question from Mark Anthony. You think Zab Judah could have beaten Floyd Mayweather if he wasn't being dumb that night? No. Zab Judah, if Zab Judah fought Floyd Mayweather 100 times, he loses 100 times. Now, that's not to say Zab Judah wasn't a phenomenal, gifted fighter. Naturally gifted. Zab Judah was as naturally gifted a fighter as any fighter I've ever seen in my entire 47 years now of watching boxing. This is my 47th year of watching boxing. He was as talented as Floyd. Naturally gifted, yes. But what separated Zab Judah from Floyd Mayweather was discipline. His lack of discipline. Floyd Mayweather doesn't drink. Floyd Mayweather never smoked. Floyd Mayweather never smoked. The only two things Floyd loved were boxing and women. How many women he could fuck. And he go fuck a woman at 2 o'clock in the morning. 2.30 he was in the gym in the morning doing road work, sparring. Floyd Mayweather ate, drank, and slept boxing. Ate, drank, and slept women. Period. Zab Judah ate, slept, and drank woman and ate, slept, and drank. My ex-girlfriend, Vonette, told me about 21, 22 years ago she was in the club and Zab Judah tried to talk to her and all she could do was run away because she wanted to vomit because his breath smelled like shit and vodka. He was stinking drunk. As a fighter... You should not be drinking. You should not be consuming alcohol as a fighter. That should not be in your diet, period. You're poisoning your body. And Zab Judah lost too many fights because he was undisciplined. If you look at Zab Judah's career, every time he stepped up, Costa Zoo, Carlos Baldemir, Floyd Mayweather, every time he stepped up to that next level, Danny Garcia, he lost. He never beat an all-time great Hall of Fame fighter. He lost to all the elite fighters he ever fought. So the night he fought Floyd, while he gave Floyd difficulty for the first four rounds, even rocked Floyd, Floyd, once Floyd figured out Zab, it was a wrap. And when he did act stupid, he was way behind. He did that out of frustration. So no, um, Mark... Zab could have never beaten Floyd. And that's not saying anything. That's not saying a lot. And that's not 
being a discredit to Zab Judah, no one ever beat Floyd, but he never had the discipline. Jesus has another question. Your predictions and all bold statements for boxing in 2023. All right. On the subject of Tank Davis, bold prediction. He's going to lose this year. Whether it's Frank Martin, Shakur Stevenson, Devin Haney, or a fighter that he gives up too many rounds and loses a close decision, somebody is going to beat Javante Davis this year. I'm not saying it's Ryan Garcia because I'm going to pick Davis over Garcia, but with each fight, Javante Davis's offensive output has diminished. It is decreasing. He cannot continue on that pattern if he attempts to fight the likes of Haney, Shakur, and Frank the Ghost Martin. So my first bold prediction is that Tank Davis will lose this year. My second bold prediction is that Boots Ennis is going to upset either Errol Spence or Terrence Bud Crawford this year. It's another bold prediction. So listen out to those. Tank Davis is going to lose this year. And Boots is going to upend either Spence or Bud Crawford. Second bold prediction that I've made, that I'm making for 2023. Now, you know, I, I don't study these questions, hey, Sus. I do these questions off the top of my head. So I've got to think, what will be another bold prediction? If Dimitri Baval and Arthur Betterbiev fight this year, Baval beats Betterbiev to become the undisputed light heavyweight champion of the world and to beat one of the boogeymen in boxing. Right? Now, are there any other bold predictions? I'm not going to make a prediction about Nioa Noe versus... Uh, Stephen Coolboy Fulton. I want to save that until they fight each other. And it looks like they will fight each other this year. They will fight each other, but I'm not going to make a prediction on that fight just yet. And that's that's the fight I want to see the most in 2023. Um, the winner of the Shakur Stevenson-Devin Haney fight, bold prediction for 2023, will be, in my opinion, the fighter of the year. So, again, Jesus... My three bold predictions. Tank loses. Baval beats Better BF. No, there's four predictions. Boots beats either Spencer Crawford. And the winner of Shakur Stevenson versus Devin Haney will be the 2023 fighter of the year. All right. Now, on to... Uh, No, I answered that question. No, I answered those questions. Did I answer all the questions? Let me see. That is one. Okay, I didn't answer all the questions. I got one more question from Longtran. Longtran asks, Wish you and your family a happy new year and best wishes to your mom, Rob. My question is about the high guard in boxing. I saw Winky Wright master the guard. How come boxers don't employ the strategy? What are the advantages and disadvantages of the high guard? You don't see that maneuver today. And I think it's a great defensive maneuver. You don't see that. And Winky was the master of it. You're right, uh, big man. 
Winky was the absolute master of that high guard. And there's a great advantage to it. Not only do you protect your face from the jab, from counter right, counter left hooks, counter right crosses, or counter right hooks and counter left crosses, your arms are already up and you're quicker to counter punch. Winky had long arms, so when he held the high guard, it made him easier for him to land his right jab, one of the great right jabs in boxing history. And the counter, Winky was a great counter puncher. Now, the biggest disadvantage is when you fight a ferocious body puncher. Your body is exposed because your entire face is covered by your high guard. And Winky was able to protect his body better than most guys that used the high guard because of his extremely long arms. He had a large, long wingspan. So he covered it up to the tip of his forehead down to his rib cage. But not all fighters have that luxury of having long ass spider arms like uh, the legendary Winky Wright, first ballot Hall of Famer. So a huge disadvantage is going to the body. Another huge disadvantage is because you have that high guard, your opponent is going to throw more punches. So in a close fight, the judges might favor your opponent because he threw many more punches despite the fact that you deflected so many. Case in point, Winky Wright versus Jermaine Taylor. I thought Winky won that fight. The fight was scored a draw because Taylor was given credit for throwing more punches despite the fact that Winky blocked the vast majority of them. So those are your advantages and disadvantages, and you're right. He is without a doubt the greatest fighter ever to use the high guard. 100%. Now, just double check to make sure I answered all the questions. We got one. I answered one, two, three, four. Five, six. Yes, I did answer six questions. And um, my buddy Big Malcolm X Play Cousin, he didn't send a question in this week, but I'm sure he'll send one in next week. All right. So that wraps up this week. Next week, I'll be back with the historical retrospective. I mean, this historical retrospective on Manny Pacquiao is massive. So I want to be able to give sufficient time on the podcast to talk about, in my opinion, the greatest fighter ever to come from the continent of Asia, Manny Pacquiao. That's what we'll be looking at next week. Please send the questions in. Ask Rob Silva or you could DM me. On Twitter at Robert Silver five seven six week six, at Robert Silver five seven six eight. Until next week, my beautiful boxing fans out there, everybody, stay blessed, be blessed, and be a blessing.